All right, let's pray. Father God, I just want to come tell you thank you so much, God, for being so incredibly good, God. Lord, we do thank you for a beautiful day, beautiful weather, God. I know there's many people that are struggling. God, people loss of loved ones, God, broken hearts. And Lord, there's, there's so many that you hear in the prayer request, God, and even problems that doctors can't solve, doctors can't find, ambulances can't transport, and specialists don't know the answer, but we know who does, God. I thank you, Father, there's... There's nothing there that you don't know what the problem is. You knew it before we ever got here, Father. And we know that there's nothing there that you can't heal, God. You've shown us over and over again with Michelle about your power and your strength and your goodness, God. And Lord, your, your ability to restore and to heal, Father. We just want to tell you thank you, God, for the prayers that we've seen you answer. Thank you, God, that we can even come to the throne room of grace where we might obtain mercy, God, that we might could even come and pray, Father, and that, Lord, that you, you would consider us to be able to come into your presence and, and pray on behalf of others, God, and you would hear and be mindful of those things. Well, I thank you for the sweet Holy Spirit that prays on our behalf, that makes utterances of things that we can't even, we can't even understand and, and pray for us, God, when we're, when we're too weak, Lord. Father, I just, I could stand here all night and say thank you, Father, you've been so good. Lord, I pray you'd take this, this precious book, this word, I pray you'd open it, I pray you'd teach us. I pray it help us to walk out, Lord, more charged, more energized. May our, may our light be brighter in this dark world, in these dark times. We love you, God. Thank you so much for being so good. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. Acts chapter 22, we left off last week, verse number 26. The apostle Paul had been, was being beat up by that mob of Jews out on the streets. And <laughs> they were beating him and, and, and hard on him. And, and the Romans came in and... Basically arrested him and rescued him all at the same time. They, they did rescue him from getting killed, but they were arresting him because they thought for sure something was bad. And he had been doing something no good. And then they've carried him. They've allowed him to stand up. The captain of the guard, the captain of the army has stood up and allowed him to speak to Jerusalem. And, and here's what that was. You remember, remember what God told him he would do at Jerusalem? Preach the gospel. You'll share, you'll share the gospel. You will preach of me in Jerusalem. We'll get to the part where he's going to send him to Rome. But he says, you're going to preach of me in Jerusalem. Even though it took a mob beating him to get this mob in the street, he now has an opportunity to stand on a balcony and preach all Jerusalem, to preach the gospel. Same thing in our world today. The fact that people don't listen doesn't change our, our message. The fact that people don't want to hear doesn't change what we have to say. If they don't want to hear it, they, they can go in another room. But our job is to just keep telling the same stories, to preach the gospel, same as the Apostle Paul. And so that's what he did. He stood up there in Jerusalem, and now that they, the mob has gotten up again. The guards have pulled him back in. They're going to beat him up. Matter of fact, they're going to scourge him. We talked about the scourging last week and what a, a bru brutal thing that is, how many people died from the scourging. And the Apostle Paul pulls his trump card. They, they've got him stretched out, maybe even his feet just off the ground. They've got his hands bound, and, and they're ready to beat him with that cat of nine tails and rip some flesh off some bones. And Paul says, um, before you do that, quick question. Is it legal for you to beat a Roman uncondemned? And that old soldier's like, um, captain, um, boss. We, 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 got a, we got a situation over here. That man said he's a Roman. So, so he comes and, and, and he talks to him and, and he asks him, because Paul knows the answer to the question. He knows it's against the law to bind a Roman citizen uncondemned. 
He knows it's against the law to beat a Roman citizen uncondemned. So he knows the answer to the question, and he also knows the punishment for it. He also knows that the one that bound him could be bound and beaten himself. So he understands the volume of this question, and he understands what he's asking. So, so the captain, the head of the army, he comes to us, he says, um, you say you're a Roman? Yep, that's what I said. You, you, you got a Roman citizenship? Yes, sir. Sure do. So I, I'm pretty sure that the, the captain right now, he's probably got a lot going on in his mind. He's probably thinking there ain't no way. But if he is, I got a serious issue going on because of what I've already done. So there, there's probably a lot going on here in his mind. And what we know about the, this, this Roman captain, this soldier, we know that he has a Roman citizenship that was purchased. We learn some things as we read the text in verse number 28. He, he answered, with, he said, with a great sum, I obtained this freedom. And Paul said, but I was born free. Now in the next chapter, we'll see it when we get there, chapter 20. 23, verse 26, we, we learned that that captain's name is Lysias, but, but we also see the confirmation of where he purchased his citizenship because he opens his letter with the statement, Claudius Lysias. That's his signature. That's what he signs. So what we know is that Claudius, oh, Claudius Caesar, for money, he opened up, you know, there's great benefits in being a Roman citizen. There's a lot of perks for being a Roman citizen. They, I mean, Rome controls the world in this day, the most powerful nation in the world. And so there's a lot of perks that go along with being a, a citizen. So Claudius Caesar, in order to make a bunch of money, he opened it up so anybody that had money could buy citizenship. And, and that's what this soldier has done. That's why he signs Claudius Lysias unto the most excellent governor Felix, sendeth greeting. And then he tells a bunch of lies and makes himself into a hero that he's really not. But we'll get to that when we get to chapter 23. So he, he, he says that, look, for a great deal of money, a great deal of money, I have obtained this Roman citizenship. Now, the fact that he is a captain of the Roman army means he probably paid more than just the citizenship. I mean, he's got, he's got a fortune invested in his life right here. And, and now he's looking at the Apostle Paul. This man who's been walking from city to city, dirty clothes and worn out shoes, nothing financial to show for it in the world's perspective. He builds, he makes tents and he works. He does just enough to feed himself and to feed those with him. He does Whatever's necessary just to get by, but he's not here to, to try to make a worldly living. He's just there for the gospel. And, and this captain of the guard is, is looking at this, this nothing of a man who was just being beaten by the detestable Jews. I mean, the Romans can't stand the Jews. They are the biggest burr under the saddle of anywhere. All the other regions are fine, but boy, they're around Jerusalem and anywhere the Jews are at. They got issues. So I got this nothing of a man who has nothing to show. He's this, this little guy, and, and the Jews are beating him up. And this guy, he says that he is a Roman citizen. A lot of things begin to add up about the Apostle Paul. When, when he answers, he lets him know, you, you bought yours. I didn't buy mine. My, my dad was a Roman citizen. Therefore, I have Roman citizenship. See, that, that begins to add up because we know that the Apostle Paul went to the best of the schools. I mean, he went to, the, comparing it to today, he went to the most expensive 
academies. He went to the highest levels of training. He had the highest levels of the rabbinical training. He is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He told us that himself. So when you put it all together, it's pretty easy to see that Paul's family was a pretty influential family there in Tarsus. Paul had some pull. Now, this, this soldier, he don't know anything about that. But anybody with a Roman citizenship in that, yes, they were Orthodox Jews. Yes, they were bound in the law, but they were Christians. So they were different. But what we find out is that they, they had a lot of the pull. So now this, this captain, he's got a serious situation on his hand. He, he has beaten. He has bound. He has abused this uncondemned Roman. So he knows he's got a, a problem. Verse number 29, straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid after he knew there was a Roman, and because he had bound him. On the morrow, I, I don't understand, why, don't, why doesn't he talk to Paul here? That you kind of sense there's a lot of fear in this man. There's a lot of fear about what he's done. There's a lot of fear about the Apostle Paul and what the Apostle Paul can bring to his table, what can happen, because he... You, you would think you'd ask him, look, man, if you're a Roman, look, hey, I'm sorry about all that, but what's all that about? Why, why, why are you letting the Jews beat you like that if you're a Roman citizen? Why don't you tell me? I brought the army now. We'd have beat them. What's that all about? But he doesn't even, he doesn't even try to talk to Paul. So you kind of get, there's a pretty good bit of fear going on right here. I just need to get away from this man, Paul. But on the morrow, the next day, because he would have known the certainty wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he wants to know what it's all about, but he don't ask Paul. He, it says that he brings in, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priest and all their counsel to appear. Now there's 70 of them. So the fact that it says all their counsel tells me that the entire Sanhedrin had to come to this meeting. He calls him in, he brought Paul and, and he brought Paul down and he set him before him. So fear would be the only reason that I could come up with was why, why would he have not just asked Paul? I mean, you brought the Sanhedrin in like you're going to get an honest answer out of these guys, right? I realize you think you'd be able to. It's supposed to be the religious elite, but, but you, you see the lies that they've done. You saw what they did to Jesus. You, we've seen what they did to Stephen. I mean, we see there's, there's no real honor or integrity in, in these guys. So, so he brings them in, and, and he sets Paul down in the presence. And Paul, the Apostle Paul opens up chapter 23, and earnestly beholding the council. That, that means he was keenly observing. If you look that word up, it, it means that, that he is looking at these 70 men, the Sanhedrin Council of Jerusalem. Remember, we looked at that before. Smaller cities had some smaller councils. Every town where there was a gathering of, of Jews ha had some form of Sanhedrin. They might have 10. They might have three if, the, if the, it was so small. But at Jerusalem, it, it's a council of 70. And, and they come in and, and it says that Paul... Paul's looking them out. He, he's checking them down. He's keenly uh, observing and looking at them. And he says, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now, this isn't just one of their regular meetings. And they didn't have a lot of preparation time. They didn't have Instagram or, or what is that, Paul? Remind out. They didn't have group text to get everything out last night and say, hey, captain of the guard wants to see all of us tomorrow we're gonna to have a meeting be there at 10 put on your best look like you're coming to 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 choir practice get your robes and your hat come on no i'm sure they had a good 
system of getting things out with their servants and things that would go from house to house and tell them. But this would have been a morning issue on getting it all out. This is, hey, you, you, need, you need to get here. And that networking system got them all out of the house. And they get there. Paul checks them all out. They, they got to be there. And, and, and Paul sizes them up. And he says, men and brethren, you know, in spite of everything, he's still trying to win the Jews to the, to, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's still trying to make a connection. He's still trying to reason with them. And there's no doubt he knows some of these people. I mean, being the Pharisee of Pharisees it was, he knows some of them. Some of them are on the council in the day. Some of them he may have went to, to, to that rabbi training school with. I mean, he, he's got to know some of these people. And, and he calls them men, men and brethren. He says, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. That's a good reason why we have the saying, uh, something to the effect that conscience is not a good guide. You know, you can do a lot of things based off good conscience. You think it's a good thing, but that don't make it good. And, and that, that's kind of that's what we see here. He says, I, I did everything of a good conscience. You know, he said, back when I was Saul, he said, I did things with a clear conscience. Because I thought I was doing things on behalf of God. I thought I was upholding the laws of God. I thought trying to get rid of these Christians, I was doing God a favor. I thought I was working in behalf of God. Even when I persecuted the church, even when I stoned Stephen, even as I was dragging Christians out, I did those things out of ignorance. And so I have a clear conscience, not that I'm without sin, but I did those things. I didn't know any better. But here's where he really, really messes them up. See, see, conscience, conscience can cause us to do things that we, we think is right, but that doesn't make them right. That's why it's so important to learn to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important to spend time in prayer and learn the voice of the Holy Spirit so we understand when it's spirit guiding us and conscious guiding us, right? Okay, well, I thought so. So, so what Paul says, I was one of you with a clear conscience. I persecuted the church. With a clear conscience. But where he really chapped them. As he said. And what I do now. I do out of a clear conscience. Now you, you know this high priest. Knows who Paul is. This high priest knows. What Paul is teaching. This high priest knows back when Paul was a defector. When Paul left them. When Paul was called on the road. To, to Damascus and, and, and he's heard the story and he's heard that Paul is now a preacher of the gospel of the ones that they did hate. He, he knows all that thing. And the apostle Paul said, the things that I do now, I do with a good conscience. And so the high priest had somebody slap him in the mouth for saying it. Then I guess Paul has a bit of his own temper because verse number two said, that the high priest Ananias commanded him to smite him on the mouth. And Paul then said, Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. Thou sittest to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. What Paul says in that statement is you bunch of hypocrites. More specifically, what he says to the high priest himself is you're a hypocrite. That, that whited, when he talks about a whited wall, the only other time we find that in, in the Bible is in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, 
By the way, you had a little bit of an attitude when you said that there, son, in the play. I'm not sure what was wrong with you. I don't know if you didn't have your milk Sunday morning. But you was a little bit rude to us Pharisees the way you said that in play practice. I just want you to know, I was noticeably different. Jesus says, you Pharisees, hypocrites, you're likened to whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within you're full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. So Paul says, look, what I've done, even to this day, I've done it with a clear conscience, and the high priest has him slapped in the mouth. Paul says, looking to the high priest, let me tell you something, you hypocrite. You're doing, something, you're doing something you think according to the law, but it's contrary to the law in what you did. But verse number four, Paul gets a surprise. They that stood by said, revilest thou God's high priest? Verse number five. We realize that Paul didn't know that he was the high priest. Paul basically offers an apology according to the scriptures. He, he refers to him again as brethren. He, I, I didn't know he was the high priest or I would have, I would have respected him only because of position. He said, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. So Paul states a fact from, from the law of the book of Exodus that, that you're not supposed to speak evil of the ruler. And, and so Paul makes it clear that he would have given respect to the position of the office. He would not have spoken evil against the office of high priest, even though he has no respect for this man whatsoever. He, he has no respect for Ananias or for his attitude or what he did, but he does respect the positions. Kind of like, I guess the best way to put it is kind of like our presidents today. We have had some detestable men sit in the White House. Y'all don't have to agree. You ain't got to like me, but I'm telling you, we've had some very non-respectable individuals sitting in the White House. One of them happens to be there right now, in my opinion. We have had some very non-respectable people in there, but as a citizen of the United States of America, it is my duty to respect that office. And as a Christian, as a child of God, it is my responsibility to pray for whoever sits in that seat. So, so I, I may have, and I say may, only because it's recorded and I'm trying to be not politically correct. I'm trying to be halfway polite when I say that I may have no respect for him. But I do have some respect for that office. And so therefore I pray for the office. Well, it's kind of the same. The Apostle Paul, he, he has respect for the office. He says, look, I didn't know who he was. I would have respected the position of the high priest, even though I'd have had no respect for him. Remember what we just looked at. This is a last minute call. The captains called these 70 men. They've had to get there. They've come to a meeting. Some of them got a last minute. They don't have all their holy garb on. They, they don't have all of their, their temple garb. They don't have their robes. There. Obviously, the high priest doesn't have on his breastplate and his urim and thummim and, and all the things in the shoulder plates. He obviously doesn't have that on because he's obviously the high priest when he's dressed. So, so it's pretty clear. I'm sure some of them may have took time to throw on their robe or maybe put their hat on. I, I don't know. But, but one thing we do know is among them is that the high priest doesn't have on all of his stuff right here. Because Paul doesn't recognize them. Now, that, that's another great opportunity for us. Y'all know I told you anytime I look, I try to look at what is the text telling me. What does that story in the Old Testament have to do with me? Well, here's what that story has to do with me. It's a reminder to me to live Christ-like every minute of every day because I never know who's looking. That man was the high priest, but his attitude didn't show it. That man was the high priest, but his prayer life didn't show it. That man was the high priest, but, but his 
religious appeal didn't show it. It's very important for you and I that every day that, that we live a life. See, everybody don't come in and see us on our Sunday best, whatever that is. Everybody don't know that we have our spot and that's where we sit on Sundays. Everybody doesn't know that. Wouldn't it be a shame for somebody to have to say to somebody else, don't you know he's a preacher? Don't you know he's a pastor, a Sunday school teacher? Don't, don't, don't you know he, he's a deacon in the church? Don't, don't you know that, that that guy works in ministry in, in the church? Don't, wouldn't it be a shame for somebody else to have to, to have to explain who we are? Wouldn't it be a shame for somebody else to have to explain that person's a Christian and they're having to explain it because the person that was witnessing our attitude couldn't tell it? Ain't that good? I thought it was good. Maybe God just gave me for that and I wasn't supposed to share that with y'all. Maybe that was all for me, but, but that's what I see out of that. I see the importance of living a Christian life 24-7, 365. I see the importance of if I'm going to be a child of God, I'm going to call myself a Christian, then act like a child of God and live like a Christian. If, if I'm going to tell people I go to Faith Baptist Church, glory to God, please act like you grew up in a church. Act like you knew something or either tell them you went to First Baptist on the square. I'm sorry. I don't have nothing. I love those guys. I tell, tell, I, yeah, anyway, I'm sorry. I just killed all the spirit, didn't I? So Paul says, look, my apologies to you, brethren, 270 council members. Because again, Paul, Paul, Paul never gives up hope in trying to reach them with the gospel. Paul never gives up on reaching his Jewish brethren with the gospel. So he says, brethren, I'm, I'm sorry. Because he knows that's offensive based on scriptures. He's got it there. And, and he knows that, that every Jew would, would have a reason to speak him. In verse number six, when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees, and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I'm called in question. So Paul just split the Sanhedrin right down the middle. Because you got about half Pharisees and you got about half of the Sadducees. And, and the problem is, is they, don't, they don't agree. Now, Paul says, I'm a Pharisee. He makes it clear. They probably already knew that. He made it clear to us when he wrote his letter to the church at Philippi. Chapter 3, verse 5. He said, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. And Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee. So Paul knows what the Pharisees believe. And he knows that, that they believe in life after death. He knows that they believe in, in a resurrection. It is the greatest hope of the nation. But he also knows that the Sadducees squawk at that. The, Sadduce, the Sadducees say that there's no such thing as the resurrection. There's no such thing as life beyond. This life is it, and, and that's the end of life. That's why I heard a preacher say one time, that's why they're sad, you see. He, he said they, they, they don't have any hope. They, don't, they, don't, they have no joy. They're sad, you see, because they don't understand that there's more to this life. Jesus Christ promised more. If this is all there is, we're in a sad state. Because I've messed this one up a bunch. And, and, and I'll be honest, as beautiful as the day was, I got my sight set on some much prettier days. When, when, when there'll be no need of that light, for the S-O-N sun shall be the light. I, I got my sight set on some better promises. So, so Paul, he may not can reach this group with the argument of, I was a Pharisee and now I'm a Christian. But what he did do was he just gained favor with half the men that were present there. Because he said, I, I'm a Pharisee. But one of the things he did, he just put the argument in the midst of them and it took a lot of heat off of him. 
Now, now they're fighting amongst themselves about this, this resurrection. He says, the hope and the resurrection of the dead I'm called in question. And when he had said so in verse number 7, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. So you have this battle amongst themselves. You can slice that bread any way you want it. That's Republicans and Democrats. That's, that's agnostics and fundamentalists. That's right wing and left wing or liberals versus conservatives. You can put it any way you want. But what you got is a group of people that one half thinks one way and another half thinks another way. And, and now you got them fighting from within. And we see the volatile attitude of the Jews. We've been reading in the Old Testament for a while now, right? We're reading the New Testament and Old Testament. We're reading through the Bible together this year. And we've been reading constantly, not just about the Jews murmuring, but it don't take but the, the drop of a camel's hair to get them bent out of shape. I mean, they get sideways if the sun don't rise at the right time. I just they, They're always bent out of shape. So we see this personality that carries on into this trait. And, and here they're... they're they're arguing. They get into this, this Sanhedrin. They're, they're arguing against each other. Don't you know the captain of the Roman army that called this has got to be going, what in the world is going on now? My goodness. I put Paul up there to speak to the people and they got quiet and then they've got a riot in the street. I call these people together. They're supposed to be the leaders. They're like a bunch of cackling hens in here fighting. What in the world am I going to do now? Don't you... Can't you just understand him and his situation? He's still trying to get out of fact he can be beat because of what he did to Paul. And he's trying to get something going on. And, and now he sees one side's taking Paul's side and the other side is trying to kill Paul. And now they're about to pull him a half. In verse number eight, the Sadducee says there's no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. There arose a great cry and the scribes that were of the Pharisees part arose and strove saying, we find no fault in this man. If a spirit or an angel had spoken to him, let us not fight against God. But then there arose great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces. So you got about to pull him apart. One pulling one way, trying to save him. The other trying to pull him off to kill him. And it says he commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. So now the captain's got to send the soldiers in and rescue him again from the meeting that he called. It, this, this wasn't a riot in the street that he had to go break up. This is a group of, group of people he called together. And now he's got his own riot on his hand. And he's like, man, they, I mean, they're, they're right here in, in, in the courtroom. So he, 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 still, he still doesn't have the answer to his questions. What he wants to know is, what's this all about? Why are they trying to kill Paul? Why are they so mad at this guy? He still don't have his answer. He still don't know what it's about because the whole time Paul was talking to him, he, he was speaking in Hebrew and they speak in Greek. So they don't know what he was saying the whole time. They don't know what he said that made him so mad. I'm sure a lot of this conversation going on here involved Hebrew because it's going on among the Jews. It was Paul talking. So they didn't understand a lot of that. All he knows, I brought these people together and here they are fighting again. So, so we, we see he, he's got a situation on his hand, but, but more so than what the, the, this Roman guard, this soldier has got to be thinking I wonder what the Apostle Paul was thinking. Fair question. Why in the world did I come back to Jerusalem? What was I thinking? 
I mean, the Holy Spirit told him he's going to be bound. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, you remember he brought a huge sum of money from all the churches, from all the different cities. They brought a huge sum of money, and they didn't been one thank you from the church or the leaders of the church. Not that he came for a thank you, but you thought somebody would have at least nodded the hat, you know. They, they've done nothing but cause trouble. And, 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 by the way, where's the church at now? Where, where, where's the church and all this going on? Where, where are the elders at? Where's James, the leader of the church, one of the apostles of Jesus Christ? Where's he at? Why, why ain't he stepping up to help? Where are Paul's traveling companions? You know, his friends, the ones that forsook all, the ones that have come back to Jerusalem with him, where, where are they all at? Now, I will say this in their favor. I'm going to go ahead and plug one in for them. This probably ain't the best time to stand up and associate yourself with the apostle Paul. This probably ain't the best time to stand up and begin to speak in Paul's defense. This probably isn't the best time to stand up and try to preach Christ to him. This probably isn't the best. I mean, you see what the Apostle Paul's got. And here's what they don't have that the Apostle Paul had. They don't have a Roman citizenship. So guess where they end up? They get discouraging. So, so it's probably it's probably not the best time. But, but reality is the church doesn't come to help. The elders, they don't offer any help. The, those who have seen Paul delivered time and time again, that they, they don't come in. I, I'm just thinking, what about Paul? Based on the text, I'm thinking Paul is a little depressed right now. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Paul is a little discouraged right now. I'm thinking Paul is a little up, upset with some things right now. I mean, after all, he, he wants to go to Rome to preach. He's supposed to go to Rome. And how's he going to get to Rome now? But I, I, I don't know. But I don't know why Jesus would be trying to cheer him up if he wasn't cast down. That's why I said, based on the scriptures, I think the apostle Paul must be a little depressed right now. I, I, I think he's a little uncertain about some things. Because Jesus came in and said, be of good cheer, Paul. Thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem. That's what he did. That's what he did up on that platform when he had Jerusalem and that whole mob. God said, thou shalt testify of me in Jerusalem. He has stood on that platform with all that mob and he has testified to Jerusalem. The fact that they rejected Jesus Christ, the fact that they rejected what he offered has nothing to do with Paul. Paul did what God sent him there to do. He said, thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem. So must thou bear witness also at Rome. What Jesus said to Paul is well done. You've, you've done a good job here. I brought you here regardless of what they've done. You've done exactly what I brought you here to do. You, you have shared the gospel. You have witnessed to me in Jerusalem. See, at this point, the Apostle Paul may have no idea what tomorrow holds, but he knows one thing. He's going to Rome. Because when Jesus says you're going to Rome, you're going to Rome and hell or nothing else can stop you. There ain't no if the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise. I don't care if the oceans flood if the Lord's willing. It doesn't matter if the creek rises and floods and the rivers come out of their banks. If the Lord's willing, the rest of the story doesn't matter. If the, if the Lord's willing, that's the way it's going to be. And he, he says you're going to be going to Rome. So Paul may not know how he's going to get to Rome, but he knows he's going to Rome. But it, it, here's, here's what I was thinking when I was, I was looking at this. A lot of times God gives us things to do. God is no respecter of persons. So what God did for Paul, he'll do for you and I. So I was thinking about, I wonder how Paul must have felt. Then I got to thinking, it's no different with you and I. You know when you think you're all alone? 
You know when you think nobody else cares? You know what I'm talking about. When, when your problems are your problems and nobody else cares, so they don't even tell anybody. Church don't care. Nobody cares. And, and, and we kind of get in the molly grubs and our own little stuff. And, and we're down and we begin to feel all alone. Well, it's no different with us than with the Apostle Paul. The Lord will show up on time, every time. He, he'll always be there. Sometimes we may have to get to that lowest spot. We may have to get to where we've tried, we've witnessed everything. I mean, I've even tried the Sanhedrin Council. That's supposed to be the 70 most religious people in Jerusalem. I even tried to them, and now i got this big fight going on. And so there's some discouragement. A lot of that helped me understand. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 28, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call. Anybody ever questioned that verse? Three or four of just reality. Anybody ever question all things? Think about everything in your life. See, see, Paul is called of God according to his purpose. And, and what Paul sees right here is through all of his confusion and all of this disarray, all of the turmoil that happened here, all of his fear, all of his loneliness, everything that he is experiencing, it took every piece of the puzzle to make the puzzle complete. Hebrews 9, 27, appointed unto man wants to die for this, the judgment. On that day that we're appointed to die, when we leave this earth, our puzzle is complete. Hello. And if one piece of a puzzle is missing, it's not complete, is it? So if you're doing a puzzle, it took all of the hard pieces and all the easy pieces and all the upside down pieces. It took everything to make it complete. So the Apostle Paul, he's not just jabbering when he writes that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to Christ Jesus. He's, he's not just spitting something out that might sound cute and nice. Maybe, maybe it would make um, one, one of the quote pages and it would go live over the internet and everybody might see it and it'd go viral. No, he's talking life. He's putting something there for you and I as Christians to understand. Bad things happen in our life, but they're not forsaken by God when they happen. Those are just parts of the puzzle. If we look back in our life, the hard things we've been through are what made us what we are today. A lot of the trials that God has brought us through is the reason we have faith to go through what we're going through today. A lot of the things of our past that we've seen God do are the reason we have the, the belief in God, knowing that he can today, because we had to get through some stuff to know we can get through some stuff. So Paul knows what he's talking about when he says that all things work, work together for good, and now nothing is going to keep Paul from going to Rome. Verse number 12 said, When it was day, a certain of the Jews banded together, they bound themselves under a curse, saying they'd either eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And there were more than 40 which had made the conspiracy I'm out of time. I got some little more notes, but we're, we're going we're gonna to pull up here on this verse. But we have every reason to believe that these are, these are probably at least headed up by the Sadducees. And probably a majority of them, if not all of them, are Sadducees because they're really ticked off about what Paul said back there at that last meeting. And, and they say they're, they're not going to kill him. Uh, or I mean, they're not going to eat again until they kill Paul. But what, what we'll see in a couple of verses down is, is that Paul's nephew overheard it. Paul's nephew heard the plan and how they were going to use the, the Sanhedrin to get them to use the Romans. Boy, it sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? They're going to use a religious crowd to get them to use Rome to accomplish their purpose. And, and the nephew hears about it and he sheds it. See, see God can 
God will and God does do the same thing in our lives. God understands devises plans going on around us. God understands when the enemy has put things there. Here, here, here's the simplicity of what I see right here. He lets the nephew hear it. The nephew tells Paul. Paul sends him to tell the guard who sends it. And, and, and the whole story is revealed. Here's what I see. And it is repetitive over and over and over from Genesis Revelation. God is a supernatural God with supernatural powers. They can do anything supernaturally. But throughout the scripture, he chooses to use the natural man to accomplish his will. Can God supernaturally do whatever it is that you need? Absolutely. Most time in the scriptures, that's not the way he does it. So if God, this supernatural God of ours, can use Paul's little nephew, and there, there's a lot, if you study the family, things that may have happened, and maybe his sister might have disowned him when, when he became a Christian. There, there's a lot of different opinions of what happened. But, but if God can use his nephew to accomplish a natural thing, God can use you and I. Now, we may be the one that overheard something that needs to help somebody. We may be the one that needs to help. But one thing we know, God can, God will, God does take care of us. Amen. God, thank you so much for being so good. God, thank you for this book. Thank you, Lord, for this story, God. And Lord, not, not, a, not an Old Testament story, not a New Testament story, but a life story. God, a life. It, it applies to our life, to my life, to daily life, to every life, God. And, and it lets us see, Father, how you use people just like us every single day. You use people just like us, and you made some of them into Apostle Pauls that shared the gospel. You used people just like us, and some of them weren't even Christians. They, they were Roman guards, but you used them to protect your children, God. And you used people just like, just like Paul's nephew to, to, to carry a, a message so that Paul doesn't get murdered. You, you use it to protect him. And then you use a, a Roman guard, the, a picture of the world, to protect, to protect your servant, to carry him to Rome by your hand, God. Thank you, Father, for just letting us see how you can use us, how you can protect us, how you can provide. Help us, God, to be faithful. Help us to be pleasing, God. We love you. You've been good to us. Lord, we trust you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, they said, amen. He's three minutes 